Morning. Morning. Morning, Brett. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Here we are. Here we are. Hey, that uh, that Ratzinger article that you sent mm-hmm. is off the chain, man. Yeah? You liked it? Real good. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. What did you like about it? Um, well, it was just, it was interesting of how he got into the, I'm trying to like place it exactly, but when he was talking about, he was pretty, pretty much like walking through how to think about how not salvation outside of the church, um, necessarily, but like what a conundrum for like modern people, that notion is of like how good people are, are and can be saved. And like, even how the theologians have engaged it. Right. And I don't know. He just gave a path forward in it of like, this is so, it, it was so, I just found it to be so solid and you just, you read it and you're like, yeah, this is what I've been looking for for a long time because it holds so much to like the centrality of Christ in salvation and like, um, but it's also like readable to and I include my ears in this, like very modern eyes and eyes and ears, you know, um, right. in it of like the dude just he understands humanity and like how human beings think right now and how we're informed and how we're influenced. Um, I don't know. I was just I was just so struck in in reading it, but like deeply grateful, I guess, was my reaction to it. Hey, so I didn't read the article. Um, what What was it about? I can look it up. Um, so he wrote it in. Wait, the was f- this the one that you sent, like the snippet from? In text? yeah, I sent, I texted a snippet, but yeah. then sent the link. Yeah, okay. Blaha actually shared it to me and um, shared it with me, and I thought it was appropriate to our conversation last week or whatever, yeah. ten days ago. Um, but he wrote it in the fifties, so before the council and it was about the new pagans who are it's basically like the new evangelization the whole idea that um the first evangelization was to people who did not know christ and effectively worshipped the old gods and now are it's been a couple it's been a minute since i read it but effectively like the way that the way that it's changed and how we're kind of back at square one that where Christendom is over, like you can't take for granted that everybody just, well, it's self-evident that Jesus is God and that you need to believe in him to go to heaven and please God and all that, all that stuff. So whereas like at the height of the theological controversies of the Reformation, both sides, Protestant and Catholic would, would have agreed that no matter what kind of person you are, good, bad, or in between, if you don't, believe in Christ, then you can't be saved. Whereas now the script is flipped where pretty much everybody, including people within the church, um, on both sides say, um, no matter what you believe, as long as you're a good person or it's evident that you, you know, you're following your conscience and loving your neighbor, it doesn't really matter what you believe. If you could be an atheist or whatever religion of course God will save you because we have this humanitarian way of thinking that's sort of new, actually. Like humanism started around the time of the Reformation. Um, This affirmation of the human being, the goodness of the human being, um, which now I'm reading a Julian Caron book, Disarming Beauty. Have you guys ever come across that book? Um, yes, I haven't. I haven't read it. I haven't read it all the way. I need to read some Giassani and CNL stuff because I just keep running into people who are close friends of mine or friends of friends, and a lot of our thinking and what we, we've been talking about actually is is pretty on the nose to what 
what that movement is about, I think. Um, we need to rephrase that. That movement is kind of on the nose of what we talk. Yeah, about. that's true. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, anyways, I, um, he he's not saying that that's wrong. That we believe that pretty much anybody can be saved, or that nobody is really outside of God's mercy. He can save whoever he wants, no matter what they believe. But the conundrum that Rob is talking about is that what ends up happening is that you know those those who have been seized by the spirit and are now trying to follow Christ wholeheartedly and um as Schmemann would put it like the sword of Christ has been introduced into their life where now they can't disobey their consciences without feeling like they've betrayed a person you know it's not just about like oh i'm trying to live my truth or be a good person it's like the spirit has has um i've surrendered to someone greater than me who has a right to basically direct me, tell me what to do. And, and out of love, I have to obey them. So all the stuff about like Sunday mass obligation and going to confession, if you have mortal sin on your conscience and the, and the things that oblige us as Christians who are trying to live in the state of grace, um, we still say like, well, this person didn't do all that stuff, but they were a good person. So I'm sure God will forgive them and, and give them a chance, you know, somehow in his mysterious wisdom to repent and believe in him and to enter into glory forever. So then the question becomes, well, then why do I do all this stuff? You know, or the temptation will be to say, if you don't need to obey Christ in order to be saved, if he's, his mercy is so wide that so long as you don't do something like um, truly evil or cut yourself off from goodness itself, then the faith doesn't become a blessing anymore or a grace. It's kind of like a burden, you know, like we're all on the same page, like pretty much everybody's going to be saved. Why bother um, making a big deal out of it, you know? But uh, like the experience of most Christians, I think we would agree, is that I can't just go back to not knowing. It's kind of like putting the toothpaste back in the tube. I can't just go as act as if God doesn't exist and just try to be a good person and expect that to make me happy because I've seen something and experienced something that's now the whole North star of my life. Like I can't not follow it without feeling like I'm missing the whole point of life. So rather than like the Thomistic distinctions of, Oh, well, baptism of desire. And even if you don't really explicitly desire baptism, if you're living according to your conscience, then that's kind of an implicit desire. If you have invincible ignorance of Christ. It's not your fault that you don't know him. You know, you would have believed in him, even if some, like, even if you've heard of him, but nobody's ever preached Christ convincingly, it's not your fault for not believing and all the ways that we kind of work around it. And that's, that's how I kind of learned how the development of doctrine happened with outside the church. There's no salvation. It's, it's still true, but there's a lot more people in the church, so to speak, or the invisible church than we would have previously given credit for. So the I don't know, Rob, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you thought was his solution, but I, I understood it as just as Israel was chosen out of all of the nations, not so that only they would be saved, but so that they would be a light to the whole world, mm-hmm. so that God could, yep. through them, save the whole world. Even though, like in the Old Testament, you kind of see them, the, the opposition between the chosen ones and the non-chosen ones and the Jews sort of misunderstood their vocation said like, we're the only good ones and God really doesn't like the Gentiles. Um, Israel isn't really fulfilled until Christ um, personifies Israel's vocation. And then it's, then you realize like the chosen is the chosen versus the not chosen is there's only one chosen one and Mm -hmm. the others are not like the entire rest of humanity effectively is not chosen, including the Jews. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, yeah, honestly, I only brought it up because I wanted to hear you summarize it just exactly like that because you're so dang good at that. <laughs> so, um, but I think that's exactly what I took from it too. He had a little exegesis in it when he talked about like, um, just it, different scripture passages of using the few or like the chosen. So like the laborers are few, et cetera. But then he talks about like the ransom of the, the many and how it's not, 
it doesn't condemn the many in dividing like the in separating out the few but exactly that they're they're like the arm of salvation for um for the world and so i i don't know what i took from it was i just found it to be affirming of i remember like de gaulle talking about this a couple times in different classes of and he wouldn't word it like this but i had always understood him to be saying like you know part of living the catholic life or like the authentic christian way of life is it is what like integrates our humanity in the fullest possible way so to that question which can so often be asked like even implicitly by us is why do i have to do this why am i bound by this or or that when we hope for the salvation of someone who's living like a life you know totally opposed to to this etc is because like in our truest moments or in our truest self that is actually what leads us to like the deepest level of happiness too hmm. uh, and so i found it to like i don't know that he ever said that but i just found it to be very affirming of that too of hmm. like this actually is the happiest and most fulfilling way to to live and it can look i mean like when you talk about different like you know uh, cultures integrating the faith etc like I mean, it can look very differently, but like the core kind of uh, charismatic truths that are like both conveyed and experienced in it is that like that will lead to like to freedom um, in it. And so, yeah, his whole thing was like in in salvation is, you know, condemnation in a sense can belong to to everyone. And then salvation would belong like just to to Jesus, um, but in the exchange like of salvation is, is God coming to the world through like this chosen for the many. Mm -hmm. um, so I just found it to be very very hopeful. Anyway, and I don't know. I mean, that's, does that make sense? How I tried to summarize it? Yeah, yeah. Like in Christ, you see the real purpose and dynamic of the chosen versus not chosen. Um, thing like the few and the many that um yeah christ is the only one by right who should be able to sit at the right hand of the father but what does he do but like pour out to anyone who is willing to accept him um the right to be his brother and a member of his body and be in union with him so that's the attitude of the, of the church then is that we are the body of Christ. We are the ones suffering for the sake of the salvation of the world. And so it's the fulfillment really of, of the, of the old covenant in the new is to be, be the chosen. He talked about the paradox of like many are called, but few are chosen. Mm -hmm. um, which I've, I've often thought like that, that that's a weird way of saying that. Cause I would have thought in my mind, many are called but few respond you know but sure but both uh the call and the choosing are divine initiatives like ne our response is sort of irrelevant and um, i think in in ratzinger's thinking at least like from what i gathered from this one article is that the many are called and few are chosen is not a statement condemning the many right like yeah. he among the, all the ones he caught call, he calls the whole world but he chooses a few to be his few. Right. Um, and this is what the Corone book, The Disarming Beauty, it was written in 2015, I want to say. Um, so very recent. is talking about really the same situation that Ratzinger was talking about 60 years ago. Um, how effectively the world has left behind the Christian worldview. Like we still have a we're hanging on a little bit to things that we sort of think of as self-evident, but they clearly are not like the dignity of the human person and mm. um, the importance of freedom, like the respect of human freedom. Um, but more and more, like as pluralistic societies have conflict, like I disagree with you or you disagree with me, then well, the only way to have peace and stability is for me to force you to believe what I believe or to silence you or to coerce you or something. And, and we're seeing that, more and more, um, as worldviews clash. Uh, and so what he says is like, what we have sometimes done 
is promoted a certain he used the word christianism rather than christianity which i thought was really a clever turn of phrase he's like we're, we since we can't we can't agree on the fundamental worldview like the sacramental nature of reality that god actually penetrates everything that is and has a has a right to um you know he doesn't like prescript certain legislation or forms of government or anything like that but it certainly doesn't mean that government or politics or economics are separate from god that we we when we do temporal or secular things we can live as if god doesn't exist or that all of nature and reality is just a sacrament of his love um those things that maybe in christendom were taken for granted and now we can say like oh on sunday you can believe that but the rest of your life at work and when you vote and everything like that is is 99% of your life it's as if god doesn't exist so then what we do is like all right well then we just have to like to be christian you have to get people to agree with your values you know the classic judeo christian values which more and more i'm just like that is so empty you know just to just to go out and be like no we really need to promote this kind of legislation or this kind of um way of thinking about some consequence of believing that christ is god like that all human beings must be respected regardless of race, gender, social status, etc. Um like you're you're starting with the symptom rather than the cause. And uh so he says the whole project then is to get people to see again, you know, the story. And there's no sense in scolding people for not being able to see it. You know, and this is why like when people get on social media or even from the pulpit and just like i mean this happens on both sides of the any political debate like if you don't agree with me if you don't see what i see then you're either stupid or bad mm -hmm. and that's so unproductive um what caron says is like what what the early church did when people couldn't see what they saw which was that christ had come and the one who we should all prostrate ourselves and kneel before actually prostrated himself and knelt before us, washed our feet and died for our sins. Like this radical message of God's love. <clears throat> um, the, they didn't argue people into believing that, although they did not argue, like Paul at the Areopagus makes rational arguments for why it's true. Mm -hmm. But the really thing, the thing that got people to finally see it was that they lived it out. Um, like they not only take care of their own poor, but they take care of ours too, or, um they don't do these things which which are off limits to people who believe that every human being has been loved into existence by God and although has fallen and rejected God God has chased after them and died so that they could come back to him and live um only by encountering Christ in someone who has been set on fire by him can they ever even have the chance to see it and therefore believe it you know Hmm. So, story complete. But um, he's all about freedom. Like you mentioned, freedom, Rob. Um, mm -hmm. What he diagnoses as the problem now is when you don't believe that about nature and God and yourself, really, like that you are a spiritual self and have access to the transcendent totality of being. And you, if you just get closed off in your little world uh, of the secular. And everything is basically just economics and politics and power and money. Then you're constantly looking for some security, some identity. And so you're afraid of commitment. You're afraid of your own freedom or the freedom of other people. So you just think, <clears throat> let's legislate. Let's make the rules such that we don't need people to use their freedom well. We will just force them to. And that will make a utopia. And the kingdom of God is not like that. You have to you have to let people be free and that means a lot of people rejecting the truth um you know what i mean so that's what's scary is that yeah. we live in a time where a lot of people can't see i can't see you know yeah we drink in this culture every day um That's why you got to drink Guadalupe Roastery, man. This rant has been brought to you by mm -hmm. 
Guadalupe Roastery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think in a lot of ways it's the same, a similar question that Cywig posed to us that first year, um, which is basically like, why mission? Like, why do we yeah. go out and preach? Why do we try to spread the kingdom of God um, from within the context of salvation? Because that's, yeah, that's had, the question. I remember he had that little cartoon of like two guys at the igloo and it, it was like the one was definitely like a, a priest it was like a stick figure and then one was like some type of indigenous person or I mean, you could tell what they were trying to do and the the little um thought bubble was so you're telling me that now that you've told me this i i'm like obligated to act in a certain way or something like that and the priest says yes, and then the next one was like, "Well, why in the world did you tell me?" Mm-hmm. Then, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the conundrum you get to when you. And so you can go back, and like so we talked about, I mean, because that's and, and Ratzinger actually cites it in that article too, of like, you know, Ignatius of Loyola, you know, part of the thirty day is, you know, early on is you know imagining the you know different. Um, this soul's going to to hell, you know, or like I think it's in Xavier um, Francis Xavier's Office of Readings, yeah, that he like poses the question of, y- you know, which he's talking about like people aren't Christians because they haven't had anyone, you know, teach them the faith. I can't remember how it's worded, um, but in a sense, it's very explicit the the belief there that without um, a, I don't know the right word, but like a conversion outwardly to the Catholic faith, then like they go to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's more nuanced than that. That's that's a bad way to say it. But like, I mean, Ratzinger definitely cited that. And I remember I remember Cywick uh, talking about that as as well. You got anything more on that, Mets? Um, well, I mean, that that's sort of what the that's a super generalized version question i think of of similar themes that we're getting at notice themes not the other t word but (laughs) um and i i think to couple that like um one of the things that i've read with cl and just being around other cl people and what i think you're saying as well and probably what all authentic like real true missionaries would say it's it it's we don't want to convert people into a type of moralism mm. where like cuz that's kind of what that little like snippet cartoon breaks it down to is i've told you this and now you're saying i'm obliged to act a certain way and i think like what what's at the heart of like authentically proclaiming the message of christ is the trans the transformation is not only exterior as a matter of fact it's primarily interior and then from the inside out, like Christ transforms us, and then our actions become different because we are different. And it can work flip, like it can work vice versa. Like obviously you can have exterior guardrails that structure us w- towards the good, and that changes us from the outside in. But I think primarily, like the authentic evangelizer comes from a place of transformation and invites people towards that transformation as well. So it's not just act different. It's literally be different. And then once you see differently, then your action will follow. Um, and so I, I think we get that backwards a lot of times. And so they would try and they would come and baptize, you know, 10,000 people a day. Like that's the story of Francis Xavier. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he would stay and he would love these people and he would try right. to to spread the gospel through this authentic encounter with Christ, through this authentic love. Um, and, and same with Paul as well. Like we're kind of getting him getting him on full display right now throughout these last couple of like daily readings. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, him preaching and being on trial and all that business. But his famous line that I think whenever I think about mission and the question of salvation and why do we preach and why do we go out and like as an extension of the church, why do we 
try to help save the world with with Christ as Christ as his body is Paul's famous line the caritas Christi urgent nos the love of Christ impels us forward and that if we're stepping off from any other place besides that it's going to be a bit disordered and yep. it's going to turn into like a type of moralism you have to do this because that's the thing to do instead of like the love of Christ impels us and from there all of the rest of the moral order falls into place but if we're starting on some other reason besides that, it's going to get weird eventually. And we will inhibit people's freedom and we will disallow them from living like truly human lives, which is that I think that's the de Gaulle Ratzinger point is living in relationship with Christ. He makes us fully human. And when societies do that, they become fully human societies. And then you have a flourishing of like the arts, then you have a flourishing of uh, literature, of painting, and, and all the rest follows from there, that there's real humanism that, that can flourish in relationship with Christ. And I mean, that's maybe like the bigger, broader perspective there. But um, yeah, so that's my rant. But mm-hmm. I, I guess like that's what I always come back to is the Caritas Christi Urgent Nos. And just to tie it in from our conversation from last week, um, like even with the whole coffee shop idea is these missionaries or people who are trying to live the Christian life or those early Christians who weren't just arguing the faith, although that, like you said, they were arguing the faith, but that's not all they were doing is they were truly doing that because they were impelled by the love of Christ, mm-hmm. that it wasn't to go out and, and like, my mission is to make everybody do what I do or think the way that I think. My mission is to participate in the good, which is diffusive of itself. Like Baron loves that point. And if you're in relationship with the good, you are almost compelled to go out and to spread that. And so, you know, Mother Teresa, she's not going out there taking care of the poorest of the poor, only Christians or only people so that they'll convert. She is just out there loving people because she believes so deeply in what everybody else professes, that every human is made in the image and likeness of God and has infinite value. And she believes that so deeply that she just decided to live that way. Hmm. And, and then the rest flowed from there. And so like the coffee shop deal, okay, I'm going to live this way because I truly believe this. I'm not just going to profess it and teach you to profess it, but I'm going to communicate it with my, with my very self, with my very being. And certainly part of that is, yeah, the apologetic and the, like the rational discourse that, that comes along with it. But yeah, I will give you my very self and, but my very self cannot be given without Christ as well. And so that's going to be a part of our relationship. Yeah, one of the things Caron yeah. says is that uh, it's not... It's interesting, like, in in those terms. I was thinking back on when you were talking about there, of, like, even the fruit of, um, well, like, the 30-day as an example, like, kind of going back to that, um, like, the imagination of souls falling into hell. And I don't know, like, you guys have both done Ignatian retreats and everything on that. But it's interesting on that, too, of, like, the fruit of that, I remember this from my 30-day, was not exact. It would. I mean, it holds so much to what Ratzinger is talking about. Um, is like it is not the sense of condemning anyone or like a oh look at like all these you know poor souls being damned etc. But rather the fruit of it is what you were talking about. I think Bisque of learning how to see of like oh man, I've seen people and experienced people living in hell hmm. like in the here and now and including like parts of myself parts of my own story but right. that was another like ratzinger point too was that um like eternity without love is is hell like living without love is hell and you think of the people that live in like different prisons whatever it may be. And I, I, I remember that being a fruit of like, this isn't a, 
um, saying like it doesn't even evoke a sense of I don't know what it evokes. I mean, certainly it's not a like sense of hey, stop having so much fun in this life because it's going to suck in the next. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. But it's just, you just you know you experience it and you're like no I've I've seen that I've seen that reality right in front mm-hmm. of me. So anyway, even if it's not an obvious torment, there can be a what I see is more of a boredom. Sure. Um, yeah. And a fear and a loneliness. So it's not, yeah, like the, the Inuit igloo, why did you tell me about Christ? Cause now I'm obligated to believe in him. Otherwise I'm going to go to hell thing. You know, if I were invincibly ignorant, I would have gone to heaven either way, no matter what I did. So that impl- the implication being like, it's a burden to have to believe in Christ um, it's a burden to know because it's, you know, ignorance is bliss. Um, we can implicitly like agree with that when we reduce Christianity to moralism, um, where like the really important thing about being a Christian is that you obey certain rules. Um, the rules are extensions of, or the, the behaviors are an extension of the belief. You, you behave the way you believe and you, you see also as a result of what you believe or the two interact with each other. Like what you believe about reality, we've talked about this, will determine what you see. You know, like when you look out at, at a mountain and a river and you're fly fishing, this is always the example I think of. Like you can either be like, we're camping, dude. So I'm going to, you know, just relax and drink a bunch of alcohol and just fish. And like you can miss the whole thing about being in nature because you're so concentrated on just practical um like this is all there is is just enjoy this activity or or whatever and you you kind of get closed in on yourself but then there will be a moment where you open up to reality and the whole of what's real and you look at the stuff and it's not even just stuff anymore it's not trees and rivers and mountains and birds it's all it's eden dude like it's your your back in the state of what humanity was supposed to be vis-a-vis nature which is the very icon of God. You're, we are the image of God. And when you see that and you become aware of it, I mean, it, it kind of toggles back and forth. That's what I mean about like, I struggle with this too. Sometimes I don't see, and I get totally wrapped up in my environment and my practical affairs. And even the priesthood can seem like, am I doing it right? Am I, you know, it's all about what I do and, and stuff and I'm, uh, accomplish. And no, the only reason that you'd go up to I mean, some people might have gone on mission because they were trying to get people to not go to hell uh, and behave a certain way. But ultimately, what you're doing is you're setting people free. You're you're like Plato bringing people out of the cave. Um, this is who you are. This is who, this is what you're what you're doing here. Why you're here. And yes, it will oblige you to renounce certain things, just the same way as if you reminded somebody that they're royalty and they have to stop like being uh you know stop acting below their status you know their true identity um yeah because that's it go ahead sorry no go ahead i'm done um i mean that's another thing like i i also don't want to downplay is like obviously we're not saying that there isn't the Christian life is also demanding and Mm -hmm. but even that is that it doesn't always feel great but even that demanding call that is like an elevation of the human dignity um that says like no you you're actually made I mean just that classic line like you're made for more than this um and so I like I don't want to don't want to make it seem like it's everything's just like peachy and once you live the christian life it's just like happiness all the time um no which what I happens when you're chosen we're saying. you get crucified when you're chosen um but the uh, the paradox of the whole thing is that he's the only free man and by assenting to becoming a prisoner for our sake by being nailed to the cross he's actually set us all free by reminding who us who we are and showing the depth of of God's love for us. Um, regardless of whether that's the thing is like, regardless of whether you accept that or not, it's still the truth. And that's, I think the CL thing is like the truth has to seize your mind and your heart 
that's what's important. Like, it's not about getting people to agree with your point of view or getting people to conform to the right behavior without, without encountering the person of Christ, which now in the age of the church happens through encountering people who have encountered Christ and therefore been transformed into members of his body into another Christ. You can't know, I mean, regardless of your behavior, it doesn't really matter if you can't see you're not free, you know? Um, so it's not like a Gnosticism where Christ like is revealing like the secret of, of who you are. It's not just like, if I know, then I'll be, I'll be part of the elect. It's, um, you know, how, how can you have faith without works? How can you have works without faith? You know, the, the two go hand in hand. And so a mother Teresa is, is just like makes self-evident what to her is self-evident that every human person is another Christ. When I, clean this person's sores. I'm caring for Christ himself. And so the, the way she sees reality is totally different. than, like you said, I, I can't remember if it was Robert Mike, you said like, we say that all the time, but do we really see it? Like if we could actually see what was happening when somebody's starving to death or when, when somebody is um, homeless or, or whatever, like if we could see who they are, and then that brings up the other question we had last week, what if that homeless person's lying to you or is intoxicated you know, those are ways that we sort of yeah. tell ourselves, well, that must not be Christ or like, we're just seeing things on the, on the non-sacramental plane still, you know, where yeah. someone like a mother Teresa or St. Francis or Francis Xavier saw the world totally different or St. Paul. And they're like, it doesn't matter if I get shipwrecked and, um, if people think I'm a fraud or lie about me or, or whatever, like th- none of that matters. Cause I see the real story here and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm part of it. That's the kind of thing that like, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, build huge institutions, at least overnight. I mean, it will over 2000 years spread like wildfire across the earth, but in your lifetime and, and, uh, in your workday, like you're not going to look at, at what you've done and be like, yeah, things are a lot different now. It's just going to be like, yeah, all these, uh, people in prison got visited and, and taken care of. And I know their names and they know me and they know I love them. And that's transforming the world. Uh, but like passing a law doesn't change anybody's life. You know, uh, it's important because civil society is all wrapped up in the world and God's plan and everything like that. But we are under the impression that if you make the rules, right, if you just get everybody to kind of like agree with you, then no one will have to be good. No one will have to really see, um, the truth of things, but that was never the end game in the first place was to just have a perfect world because this world is passing away and it will never be perfect. You have to mm. see to another world. That's the whole point. And then long for that world in joyful hope and, uh, and die to this world and re- be reborn. Yeah. You know, so I know we're getting close to stop time here, but like, that's also kind of getting close to, maybe where we ended last time of, I'm just curious of your thoughts, like in light of that. So like, when is the moment? I don't know. I mean, and as you speak about this in generalities, but like, then when is the moment of like what you would, I might call like explicit proclamation of, of Christ. Is it when the person is like starting to see that, that that question? I remember we, we kind of stopped there last time of, you know, just posing that question of, well, when, um, like, when do you just proclaim or talk about, like, Jesus is the centrality of this reality in my life? Does that make sense? I think of Zacchaeus. Um, yeah. You know how, like, the Pharisees think, why would you not take this occasion where the Zacchaeus wants to interact with you. He's climbing up on a tree, like clearly is hunger, hungry. Why wouldn't Jesus at that moment be like, here's what you need to do. You need to give all that money back that you stole and sell your stuff and, um, follow me. Instead, he thinks it's more important to go eat at his house, you know, and nobody gets that. And actually what ends up happening is when he eats at his house, Zacchaeus just spontaneously, does that stuff himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, now, 
does that mean like you never have to proclaim the gospel? I don't think so. But um, if people know you and you know them and then they discover why you are the way you are, this is Father Derek Ho, he says, the faith is spread by jealousy. Um, hmm. not, oh, oh, you know, I like, love that. <laughs> I like they that. See, they see you're free and they're like, holy crap, I want that, you know? And I don't know what it's going to look like for you to totally abandon uh, this world of death and decay uh, and evil that, like the, that you have kind of succumbed to either by your own fault or through ignorance, like to leave it all behind, renounce Satan and believe in the gospel. That's going to be uniquely tailored to your heart. I can't determine that for you, but I will pray for you. I will be here for you. I will know who you are and share myself with you in a way that like when the time comes, it's not, it's an act of love. It's not a long con. You know, like that email we got last week. Yeah. It's not tricking yeah. the person by being nice right. to them and then when they let their guard down be like, "All right, now you have to believe in Jesus. Here's the thing." It's right. more like they you've established, you've earned the right to be heard. You've established a relationship where now this person trusts you and you might be the only person that they even really trust. Uh no one from their old life they could share themselves like this knowing that you will love them no matter what. And now they open up the wound or they, they ask the question or they expose the hunger that's been at their heart that they're afraid to even ask anyone or tell anyone about because this, this is kind of all or nothing. Like if this, if I encounter this, if I, if I face this desire in my heart that I've been ignoring or trying to, trying to feed with other things, if I really like plant my feet and look at that, at that place in my heart, will there be an answer? And then they've trusted you enough to be like, here's the thing. And you say, yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, there is an answer. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. But that yeah. takes a lot of trust. It does, man. It does. Oh, that's good. That's really good. It's really good. No, that helps. Yeah. Um, and I, even when I was thinking of like, I've thought about that question a lot since we were talking about it. And it's good like to hear it even in in those terms so i appreciate it because what i kind of came to the realization of of like wow i've i've no i can i think can honestly say i've lived that in um like very real ways with certain people but i'd like to like get to a a, a point of like really being able to articulate it like maybe in that like in a more general sense just to think through it i don't know if that makes sense but i appreciate mm -hmm. the insight yep what were you saying mike well i think that's um so what i've found is that i so I, I, I had a dinner maybe two nights to go with the family and just kind of they were asking me questions about myself and just kind of talking and just have an open conversation they were asking about technology and they're starting a little family and kind of what, what does that look like as parents and um, asking how my parents did it and things like that. And I just realized like as I was just talking about my life and, and like my own practices and things like that, that uh, thanks be to God, like they're the faith just naturally kind of came out. And like I'm just talking about I found myself talking about Jesus when talking about myself and there was there was no like, hey, this is even like a rational argument for the way that I believe or I wasn't even I wasn't trying to convince him of anything. I'm just telling him about like kind of what goes on in my life. And I found again, thanks be to God, because I've, I've been praying decently that he he actually is a part of my life so that when people ask about myself that. It, it actually leads into a conversation or like a lot of sharing about the Lord being truly present in the day-to-day -day aspects of my life. Um, and I, I found that that's sort of how I do it. Um, and I would like to get better at just like maybe more explicitly uh, talking about Jesus. Um, but like organically that's when I find that I talk about the Lord most with people that I'm not like super duper close with. Um, and I think part of that explains to me like why it's so frustrating and uncomfortable when sometimes people talk about the faith and Christianity, like it's an algorithm to salvation. 
where it's like if a, a plus B equals C, like you do this, then that, and then this happens. And, and it's like some sort of um, algorithmic calculation towards salvation instead of the active presence of God, like transforming and sanctifying somebody in their life. And, and so I, I'm not like, this is not the same as chemistry or geometry. Like this is the central thing in my heart. And so when, when people come up and start trying to, um, yeah, again, give this rational, um, logical explanation, or I should say maybe mathematical equation for salvation. Um, it's like, that's not, that's not how I understand or how I've experienced Jesus in Christianity in when it's been most authentic. And so one of the big questions for me is like, can I preach Christ in Christ crucified and risen if that's not real in my life? So like, do I know what I'm inviting people into? Do, is that really, has it taken root in my own life? And maybe if it hasn't, like, let that reality take root in my life. And then, then we can go out and like boldly proclaim the faith, which Rob, you've talked about before on the podcast, like when you introduce Christ into people's life, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. And like, there are real life consequences to that. And if, that isn't a reality in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, like integrated into your being, then like maybe we do need to hesitate of how we talk about um, the faith because it can be depersonalized, not depersonalized from the person in front of us, although that's a result, but it's not like personal. It's not actually personalized for us. Yeah. People are projects, not people. How can we talk about it? How can I talk mm-hmm. about that? How are you talking about Jesus like he's a science or something like that? <laughs> Jesus is not a science. He's a person. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. Uh, real quick before we sign off here, I have a mm-hmm. kind of cute story. So I woke up this morning to go downstairs, get coffee and do the brewery. Uh, on the screened in porch in hot Texas. It's super hot down here, but it was a nice morning, but my nephew Max was already up playing Fortnite on his iPad with his headset on. And, uh, I could hear him talking and, you know, talking about llamas and guns and whatever the stuff in the game. And then out of nowhere, he's talking to just some strange stranger kid. He's seven years old. He's talking to some other seven year old somewhere in the U S and it just randomly, he goes, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, it's my sister's birthday tomorrow. She's turning ten. My niece, <laughs> my niece Gabby's birthday is tomorrow. And then later on, like a few minutes later, Gabby walks in and she's like drawing a picture or something or doing something totally different and hadn't heard him say that. And she goes in and says, "Hey, did you tell your friend that it's my birthday tomorrow yet?" <laughs> and he said, "I already told him." <laughs> like, what conversation happened prior to this? That- wow. Wow. <laughs> it's just that was such a cute connection like i forgot to tell you stranger my sister's turning <laughs> 10 tomorrow <laughs> let's keep killing bad guys now <laughs> wow oh it's a different wow. world dude i i just watching him play that game you're seven and you're on the internet talking to strangers playing this game live online and you just take all that for granted that that's possible Mm. nothing like that Um, existed when i was seven so i have another another fun cute story to add um it has to do with chris who is the cool he's literally the coolest person i know legend yeah this is my younger brother chris he's doing chris oh what's the real man of jesus (laughs) oh He would be on that. Actually, he may be the guy doing it. I don't know. Um, but he was doing a, like a sports camp throughout the throughout this past week. And one day I just decided to to pick him up and like ask my parents, make sure his, his afternoon was free and did like a little surprise. Hey, Chris. Oh, we got to run some errands. Um, we got to go and get some information for mom, like over by this area over here. And really what I was doing is 
uh, taking him to go see a movie. So we surprised him. So we pull up into the parking lot and my two other younger brothers are waiting there and already bought tickets to Godzilla 2. <laughs> and Chris is like, well, his head almost exploded. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we got to come in here and check out some movie times. And we walk in and my younger brothers come up and hand him a ticket. And he's like, Godzilla 2? Let's go! We just started like <laughs> running towards the movie theater. It was super yes. exciting. So we just got to... It was perfect, man. It was just like us four boys and we watched alien giant monsters on a like 50 60 foot tv screen how big are those things they're huge they're gigantic yeah just ripping each other's heads off (laughs) and it was it was just it was so great man it was awesome i love being home this is the first summer that i've in the middle of the summer been like hey this feels like summer like Mm -hmm. this is really nice I, i usually actually miss that feeling and then I'm like, oh man, that was that was summer. Yeah. But I'm feeling cool. it actively right now, which is great. Very cool. Yeah. All right, boys. Good talk. Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.